Good morning. One of the common experiences that all of us have had is that moment when we're no longer living at home and we're sent out of our parents' home to fend for our own. Many of you who are grandparents have done that not only yourselves, but for your children. Face the reality that everything that you've done to form them and help them survive and thrive as human beings is now going to be put to the test. Many of us, like myself, are in that process of forming our children, of doing the best that we possibly can to help them be um, founded in the truths of the gospel and then formed on basic skills on what it means to thrive as a human being. But the day will inevitably come where they leave our home and fend for themselves and see if everything we've done has set them up well. Now, I want you to imagine, though, that that's a, that's a voluntary experience. What happens and what would be different if that wasn't voluntary, but that was forced on us? What would happen if a foreign nation came in and dominated us, ruled us, took us over, took away our teenagers before they were ready to leave the house? They, we, they just took them away. And now they would be walking hundreds of miles to another empire's capital city, enter into a re-education and assimilation program to learn what it means to be privileged and enticed with the delicacies of that empire. And would they still be faithful in that context? Well, thankfully, that has not been our experience, but that is the experience of Daniel in whose book we go today. Today, we start a new series on Daniel that we're calling Flourishing as Exiles. And we'll see in the book of Daniel that God's people are exiles and sojourners living as citizens of heaven in a foreign land, that we seek the welfare of that land that challenges our faithfulness and flourishing in Jesus. Now let me back up for a moment and set us up with the historical background to which we find Daniel and how that experience of exile framed it for the New Testament writers and what that means for us as the church. So this goes back to Egypt. God's people enslaved in Egypt. God sends Moses to redeem them and bring them out so that God would have a people unto himself, an elect chosen people with new commands, new laws, and a new way of flourishing in God's eyes with God as their king. Generations pass, and they want their own king that's not God, but a human king like the foreign nations around them. God doesn't want this for them, but he hands them over to their own desires and now are ruled by kings. The first king, King Saul, starts off all right, but he ends up having massive uh, failures and mistakes, and he's done away with. Now, his successor King David comes in 
and he is a good king. He's the quintessential Jewish king. Scripture says that he was a man after God's own heart and that a promise was given by God to David that uh, his kingdom would be a forever kingdom. It would have it'd be an everlasting kingdom and th- it, his dominion through his lineage would never end. That a future king would rule forever. Unfortunately, because of his and his people's disobedience, that kingdom split into two. There was the northern kingdom known as the kingdom of Israel, who was always led by bad kings leading God's people away from faithfulness to him. The southern kingdom, which was known as the kingdom of Judah, was sometimes led by bad kings, but it was also sometimes led by good kings. One of those good kings was King Josiah. King Josiah came to rule early on in his life. A few years later, he he has this eye-opening moment when he sees God's people worshiping false gods and being disobedient. And so he comes in and cleans house. He does away with the false prophets, does away with the false teachers, gets rid of false um, worship, and he starts to reinstitute fundamental formation practices like the Passover meal as a way to train God's people to be faithful to him and his ways. Unfortunately, because of the generational disobedience, King Josiah, his reign comes to an end and just a few years later begins Babylon's captivity of God's people ultimately ending in its demise and the burning of the temple in 587 BC. But right around the end of Josiah's rule, a young boy is born, likely around 610 to 620-ish, named Daniel. And he is around, uh, he's a teenager likely, around the time that he's brought into exile in 605 BC. Now we'll come back to Daniel in a moment, but this exile experience, this prophecy that was given to them through Jeremiah that tells them in Jeremiah 29 um, verses 4 through 7, and I'll just summarize, that they're to build houses, they're to do good, they're to bear sons, they're to multiply, they're not to decrease. And verse 7 says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. That is the means by which God's people live as they are exiles. And that ethos, that vision, that understanding of being exiled people carries over into the New Testament. And we see this language picked up by two authors, Paul and Peter. Peter, uh, excuse me, Paul, in Philippians 3 verse 20 calls this church, these, this, which is in a Roman colony, which means that they are likely Roman citizens. Their allegiance would be encouraged to be to the empire of Rome. And he says this, that they are citizens of heaven. That their primary allegiance was not to be to Rome and its empire and its way of life. It is to be to God, to Jesus, his kingdom, and the vision that he lives out and and calls us to 
in the Sermon on the Mount. We're citizens of heaven where our primary allegiance is to God and his ways. And then Peter takes this and he, in 1 Peter 1, 1, he calls the church in the beginning elect exiles in the diaspora. So that are spread out through all the land, he calls them exiles. And later on in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. He says, church, people of God, you are in a foreign land. You are to be having your primary allegiance to the kingdom of God. But you in the foreign land as exiles are to live in a way that's in accordance to the kingdom of God, not the kingdom or empire of the land in which you live. And that is true of you and I and every Christian that has ever lived. We're not at home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we know that one day God's going to come back and, and wipe away all of the evil and the pain and the kingdoms of this world and set up his kingdom physically here on earth again. We know that day is coming when Jesus returns. But until then, we are exiles. We are sojourners, wanderers, following this kingdom's principles empowered by the Spirit. And so Paul and Peter draw the church's attention back to the exile. And so our eyes for the coming weeks are going to do the same thing. We're going to go to Daniel, which is the picture of what it means to be faithful and flourishing as exiles. And we're going to look to him to teach us what that means for us in our day. Now, this doesn't come without its challenges or temptations. And from the get-go in Daniel chapter 1, we see two challenges that we're going to talk about today that face him and face us as exiles and sojourners. The first temptation, the first challenge of exile is in verse 3 and 4, and this is of isolation and indoctrination. Isolation and indoctrination. In verse 3, um, the people uh, are brought in um, from Israel and their, Daniel and his friends are removed from their people. They're taken away um, from their normal place and put into a new place. And they're um, being, uh, starting a re-education indoctrination program, teaching them the ways of Babylon. You see in verse 4, uh, it describes them as youth, their their strength, their wise. They are of a place of privilege and no- nobility. And now they're going to be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. This indoctrination was key to Babylon's successful integration of the captives into the new homeland. They'd go about learning the history of their overlords, the captives of the languages and the religious practices. They would learn the politics, the culture, the new religious education, and they would want to, uh, Babylon would want to take these captives and retrain them so that they could be used by the kingdom of Babylon for its own purposes. This is the challenge of isolation and indoctrination. 
And I think this is really pertinent to us in this moment right now. We have a natural isolation taking place due to the COVID global pandemic. We're, we're separated and what's happened in the last six months is you're starting to see because of that isolation from the uh, family of God, but also just in general, I people are going into their own echo chambers and they're being indoctrinated in the ethos and way of life in those. And so you see this polarization that's taking place in our land right now, and it's having a, an effect on the church. I don't know if you felt it, but I felt it and experienced it in my relationships. And so what's happening is this indoctrination is fueling us and having us be formed by a specific, maybe a, it's a political ideology or it's an economic ideology or it's a social ideology, whatever it may be, these are forming us and pulling us apart. We're being isolated and indoctrinated. Instead, we as God's people, with our allegiance primarily to the kingdom of God and the ways of Jesus, we choose to live a different way. While this polarization is resulting in demonization of the other party or of the other group of people, while each of them are placing their hope in something or someone, we as God's people can come in and say, no, my allegiance is to Jesus and his kingdom. Rather than demonize those that differ from me, I choose to bless them. I choose to pray for my enemies, love my enemies, love my neighbor. Those that even persecute me or come at me, I will seek their benefits. Those that slap me on one cheek, I'll give them the other because I want them to experience God's ways. That's the antithesis of being indoctrinated. And that's our invitation right now. That we as God's people can be so formed by Jesus and his vision, his desires for the world, what he thinks is best. We can be so formed that we live into that in the midst of a land that's not in alignment with that. If that's the first challenge of isolation and indoctrination, the second challenge is that of assimilation and confusion. Assimilation and confusion. In verse 5, it says that the king had assigned them um, things that he was eating for their own good, for them, and his own wine for them. He was trying to bring them in and give them an environment where they would look um, well on their captives while they were exiled there, that they would want to be in exile. And, and that also came as a result of the confusion around their identity. We see this in verse six, six through seven. You have Daniel and his three friends. Their Hebrew names, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, mean God is my judge, Yahweh is gracious, who is like God, and Yahweh helps. Their very name reminded them of their identity as God's chosen people. But what Babylon does, and the empire comes in, and it changes their names. It goes from Daniel to Belteshazzar, Hananiah to Shadrach, Mishael to Meshach, and Azariah to Abednego. 
And these names means Bell's prince, friend of the king, guest of the king, and servant of Nebo. What are those? They're now taking their identity away from God and his ways and placing it in the ways of Babylon. They're to be assimilated, they're to be brought into a way. And this assimilation, this confusion of our identity tempts us and tempts them away from being faithful to God, from living according to his ways. And we'll see in the weeks ahead how Daniel and his friends stand up and are faithful to God, faithful to what Jesus has laid out. And as a result, they are tempted even more. We'll see them be faithful. And this book is to give all God's people in all times hope in the midst of exile and and the challenge to be faithful. We are to be given hope because it's a reminder and all throughout Daniel we'll see God's sovereignty throughout that all the rulers and all the kings of all the world are just pawns in the hands of the creator God who rules everything in heaven above and on earth below. That we can trust and put our hope in him. And because we know one day he's going to return, we know one day he's going to restore this world to the way it was originally intended, we can remain faithful here and now. Daniel and his friends remain faithful. And now we, fellow exiles and sojourners, can be remain faithful because we've been saved by the work of Jesus and we've been empowered by the Spirit of Jesus to live as exiles and sojourners with Jesus' vision for human flourishing. And it's with that that I end with this poem by Elizabeth Elliot. It says, We're on a pilgrim road. It's rough and steep, and it winds uphill to the very end. We can lift our eye and see the unseen, a celestial city, a light, a welcome, and an ineffable face. We shall behold him. We shall be like him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that this is our hope, that you will return to fix what's broken, and we will eternally live with you in the way it was meant to be. And God, that hope is to fuel us to be faithful as exiles and sojourners in the midst of a foreign land that challenges our faithfulness. God, thank you that you are empowering us away from isolation and indoctrination, away from assimilation and confusion, confusion and reminding us that we are yours, that we've been given a new identity in Christ, that our allegiance is to you, Jesus, and you've empowered us by your spirit. So as my brothers and sisters go to have a conversation, I pray that by your spirit, you have spoken to them and that you are uniting them and you are challenging them in the midst of this world. We pray. In Jesus' name, amen.